0: Every hand that has beckoned me. Omotao fan Fanfiction, written by Riss Roche, read by God of Laundry Baskets. It is rated teen and up, with no pairings. Content warnings for Body Horror and Disassociation. something wrong with Wei Wuxian. That much is obvious. Of course something is wrong with his body, which has been battered and starved to the edge of uselessness a few times now. He has headaches, his hands shake, his wrist bones stick out more than they used to, knobby and strange. Probably the same is true of his other joints, but he doesn't see those as often. The old now-burn scar on his chest aches relentlessly at night, his skin prickling when the temperature drops. The place where his golden core used to be aches all the time, regardless of the temperature. Wei Wuxian finds himself hunching sometimes over where it used to be crouching like an old man with a bony hand pressed to the strange absence in his torso. Wen Qing tells him once, late one night, while Ah Yun dozes, that there really was no hole there in his lower Dantian, that the body doesn't like emptiness, that his other organs easily filled in the gaps, that she didn't even leave any scar tissue on the inside— Ah Yuan sleepily turns his face towards Wei Wuxian's stomach, his hot baby breath making a damp spot on Wei Wuxian's robes, right over where the emptiness wasn't. It healed well, Wen Qing says. For what it was. For what we did. Wei Wuxian likes the we. He doesn't want Wen Qing to take sole responsibility for what he asked her to do. He rests a hand on Ayuen's soft, tangled hair. "'Only because you're the best doctor in the world,' he says, pretending get cheerfulness. And that is the only time they ever talk about it. Really, all of his various aches and pains have easy explanations. He sleeps little eats less, splits his day between physical labor and sitting in the dark pricking his thumbs for talismans. But there isn't any good way to explain the itching or the dreams or the way that food tastes in his mouth now. There's so little food to spare in the burial mounds, and so many people who need it more than Wei Wu Xian does, and so little of it is nourishing anyway. Wei Wuxian doesn't bother to eat if he can help it. Occasionally, Wen Qing, or Granny, braves the cold, damp air of the demon-slaughtering cave to shove a stale mantou or a portion of boiled radish, into his hand. And Wei Ying eats it, because sometimes it is easier, after struggling against the whole world, to simply follow directions. He eats. But when he does, food— Any food, the radishes or buns or the various thin soups the aunties pull out of nowhere, tastes like mud in his mouth. Nothing they prepare has much flavor to begin with, given that they can't grow peppers or garlic, and even salt is an extravagance. But... But... Every bite he takes turns to silt behind his teeth. There's something else in it, too. A strange, not-food flavor that pricks at the sides of the tongue and floods his mouth with saliva. Suffice to say that eating, an inconvenient process before and a disgusting one now, is not something that Wei Wuxian likes to bother with. Granny seizes him around the shoulders and presses a bowl into his hands. Eat, she says, it does not matter what is in the bowl. You waste away, Weigongzu, she says. He'll eat what he is given. The burial mounds are brighter the second time around. Still darker and stranger than any natural place ought to be, dimmer in the daylight and colder at night. The soil is poor and dusty even as the atmosphere is oppressively damp. It is a difficult environment for some of the older Wens, those with weaker lungs, A few of them see Wenjing for their breathing, and she does what little she can to clear their meridians and let the foul, heavy air in and out of their bodies. But even this place, with its bad air and uncomfortable shadows, is better than the bottom of a cliff with the wrong end of a jin sword. Also, the sun shines sometimes now. That's Wei Wuxian's doing. The sun didn't come out for a long time the first time he was here. Resentment, Wei Wu Xian has learned, is erratic and predictable at the same time. Sometimes it moves in eddies and pools, flowing like water in invisible currents unrestrained by anything in the physical world. Other times it feels stagnant, coating everything it touches in a listless blanket. Wei Wu Xian hasn't yet been able to determine exactly why it takes the forms it does, or exactly when. The most consistent thing about resentful energy is not the way it moves, not the physical nature of it, but its essence—pure, burning, burdensome want. The wanting swamped him the first time he was here. Wei Wu Xian was drowned in the currents of desperate, hungry energy was flattened under the sluggish layers of it. When he could, when he had enough of his mind left to him, he searched for patterns, answers, anything that would let him escape the thrall, even for a moment. It wasn't want for anything, for rest or answers or justice, or one last look at a particular face, not even for violence or revenge. By the time energy curdles into resentment, the specificity has eroded away. Eventually, Wei Wuxian realized it wasn't helpful to fight against the endless rush of it. What he had to do was accept it, open himself up and prove that he too was a creature built almost entirely of hideous, gulping want. Not to be drowned, but to drown himself. Once he figured that out, he could begin to channel it, bend it, at least partly, to his will. By now, striking the necessary balance comes easily. It feels as natural to him as breathing. Many things that feel natural also cause pain, Wei Shen reasons. want seeps into his dreams. Wei Wu Shen's dreams have always been vivid and fanciful. He used to tell them to Xiang Cheng over breakfast, talking about flying fish in underground castles and a frog who was also a rogue cultivator who was really a foreshitty all along until Yang Cheng would slap a hand over his mouth has also been no stranger to nightmares, which were the same as his other dreams but for the tension, the sense-memory of loneliness and hunger that had him waking in a sweat. Those familiar dreams all ceased his first night back in the burial mounds. Now, all his dreams are oddly substantial— He dreams of crafting new talismans, the sensations so real that he's surprised to find them unwritten when he wakes up. He dreams of touching Wen Ning's cold hands, of making the long walk around the borders of his territory, of checking the radish leaves for rot, all with such bizarre realism that it's like he's living two days in the space of one. There are other dreams, too the sensations just as clear, just as plausible, in the moments right after he wakes. In those dreams, he shoots kites at Lotus Pier, holds Sui Bian, wrestles with Zhang Cheng. Lan Zhan is there sometimes, once Wei Wuxian runs his dream hands through Lan Zhan's hair, which he has only touched briefly and accidentally in the waking world. He has a golden core, In those dreams, burning warmer and with more energy than it ever really did when it was his, it's easier if he avoids those dreams when he can. It's easier to bob along like a cork in the currents of want when he doesn't sleep. One day, Wei Wu Shan is helping to clear a new plot when he looks down at his own left arm, sees brown skin on the back of his hand and a layer of dust covering his forearm, and suddenly thinks with complete and frightening conviction, that is not my arm. He can still move it. He checks, dropping his hoe to flex his fingers and rotate his wrist. It still has feeling, but when he looks down at it, his brain starts up a litany of not mine, not mine, not mine. That limb, that arm, that thing is not mine, not mine. Uncle Four is looking at him strangely. Wei Wuxian grins and uses the arm to pick up the hoe. "'I'll be right back,' he says to Uncle Four. "'Don't you slack off while I'm gone, yeah?' dashes off towards a demon-slaughtering cave with the hoe still in hand, clutching it as tightly as he's ever held on to anything in his life. If he can feel the uneven wood grain on the skin of his palm, he still has a palm. Once inside and alone, he tugs helplessly at the ties of his robe, shucking them down over his shoulders until he's bare from the waist up for the first time in weeks. The details of his body, hard edges, where there used to be smooth muscle, ugly traces of veins and tendons right under the skin, aren't what he's looking for. Instead, he squints at his shoulders and elbows, terrified that he'll see a seam or gap or some awful proof that his arms have been replaced with something else. There is no such evidence. Somehow, that's worse. Even staring directly at his arms, bared in the cold air of the cave, they feel wrong not painful or burdensome just not there not right not his he scratches at his arms chasing any feeling that isn't numbness clawing with dirty fingernails until ordinary red blood wells up then he thinks of wen chao and spits bile into a corner wei Wuxian puts the arms back in his sleeves Tightening the bracers to the point of pinching, he grasps one strange, numb forearm in each strange, numb hand, clutches, practically breathing and smiling until it all feels familiar again, then picks up the hoe and goes back out into the grayish sunlight. They do their best with Ayuan. Granny raised two generations of children on Dafan Mountain, but she's old now, and too tired to chase a child around in the dirt for hours a day. Wei Shan plays with him, running circles around the radish plots and slinging him around like a warm, wriggling parcel. Wen Qing is the one to make him sit quietly, teach him to count on his fingers, and wiping his face clean. Where is Ah Yuan? Wei Wu asks Wen Jing, pinning the child in question under his arm and pretending to search. She squints up at him from where she's seated on a rock with a pile of threadbare robes draped over her thighs. Where indeed? She sighs. Wei Wuxian, Shan, set him down and sit with me. I need you to thread my needle. He says, letting Ah Yuan scamper away. Wen Qing's hands are doctor's study. She could not possibly need his help in this, but Wei Wuxian remembers a dozen lectures on the value of rest and stillness coming from Jie and Wen Qing and Man Ren alike, counts back the months since he last meditated, and sits anyway. It can't hurt— it's a bit difficult to get the thread through the eye of the needle without looking at one's own hands, but Wei Shen manages. It's good for a child to explore, Wen Qing says. He's old enough to learn on his own. Wei Wu Shen looks over at Ah Yuan, who's squatting on the ground, dragging a finger through the dirt. His mouth is open in pure childish concentration, and he wipes it with a soiled hand. He's old enough to eat dirt by himself, then? Children eat dirt sometimes. It's natural. Xing turns back to the robe on her lap, tacking a threadbare patch on an even more threadbare elbow. Wei Wuxian's own childhood memories of eating dirt are somewhat less idyllic, but Yuan seems happy enough. Their little village is scattered with scraps of burned-up wood from some long-ago cataclysm, and Ah Yuan likes to play with some of the pieces of charcoal. He treats every blackened hunk he finds like a precious gem, fascinated by the way it leaves dark smears on his little hands, on anything he touches. He's got one now. He waves to Wei Wuxian and Wen Qing with a chunk of charcoal clutched tight. Wei Wuxian waves back. He sees his own arm out of the corner of his eye and wrestles down a flash of not mine. Look, A Yuan shouts. I found coal, Xian I see it, Wei Wuxian calls back. It's very nice. Wen passes the needle back to him. Come over here and show me how you write your name, A Yuan, she says, patting a bare rock next to them. She's been teaching him a few basic characters. A Yuen scampers over and begins scratching uncertainly at the ground with his charcoal. Wei Wu Shan waits until they're both busy then, while they're both absorbed in A Yuan's stroke order, pricks the pad of each finger with the needle just to be certain that the blood that beads on his fingertips is still red, that he still feels like he's pricking himself that the sensation is not only the simple tension of cutting meat. He threads the needle and passes it back to Wenqing, pressing his bleeding fingers firm against his thighs. Ah Yuan is such a smart boy, he says as warmly as he can manage, and his hands don't shake. He dreams, over and over and over again, of that one fine afternoon in Yiling with Langean, a perfect replica of those hours down to the stone in the toe of his boot, at first it's a comfort, then it grows repetitive, then, like everything else, it becomes tiring. Wei Wuxian has spent hours, days even, staring at Wen Ning's face. Wei Wuxian memorized the slope of his nose and the shape of his jaw beneath a hopeful net of talismans because he was afraid. He feared that if he didn't look, he would forget something crucial, and when Ning would dissolve into rot like any other corpse. Wei Wuxian knows Wen Ning's face as well as his own, if not better. They have no mirrors in the burial mounds, and Wei Wuxian does not make a habit of looking at his reflection in a pool of blood. Wei Wuxian knows Wen Ning's face. So it is very strange, then, that Wei Wuxian is looking at Wen Ning now, and does not recognize him. There is a person before him who he knows is Wen Ning, because the person is wearing Wen Ning's hat and robes, toting the armful of radishes that Wei Wuxian had instructed Wen Ning to carry. The person has eyes and a mouth that Wei Wuxian can determine, with a great deal of focus, to be Wen Ning's eyes and mouth, but the whole picture refuses to coalesce into anything familiar to him. Are you well, Wei Gongzi? says Wen Ning's quiet voice, raspier now that rigor mortis has left its mark on his throat. Wei Wuxian has been staring. Ah, I'm... Fine, he says. The face refuses to become Wenning's, no matter how he stares. So he looks away. He will not look back, just in case. Not, not mine. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Wu Shan takes a bite of Jie's soup with half of a half of a hope that it will be fine, that the pork will be fatty and tender and the lotus root fresh and the broth salty. He takes a bite. The flavour, he realises, the strange something that swims along behind the muddy taste in everything else he eats. His blood. He eats the whole bowl anyway. It isn't Xiu-Jie's fault. It's easier not to have eyes. It is possible to navigate guided by resentment alone, eyes closed, but it unsettles A Yuan to see his Shungaga drifting about like a sleepwalker. In retrospect, it probably frightened more people than just A Yuan, but he was the only one to cry. Instead, he determines a trick to unfocusing his eyes until he can ignore their input entirely, until the instincts of the resentful energy both sharper and simpler than his own can float to the top of his brain. His eyes tell him strange things anyway, which are easier to discount entirely than to sort through. It is easier. It is easier. Wu Shen is not entirely convinced that he is still a person. He has a body. He can make it move, speak, joke, smile, though he is unsure that any of the things he makes the body do are convincing to other people any longer. He watches the world around him as if through a sheet of ice. He puppets his own body as capably as any corpse the body that contains Wei Wuxian still bleeds. He checks. He cannot help but wonder if the blood comes more sluggishly than it did before. The space between himself and his skin is full of something more than empty emptiness, strange and lighter than air. Resentment is trying to help, Wei Wuxian thinks. Resentment knows what it was like to be a one-time person, an un-thing, an object strung up and condemned. The resentment is only trying to hurry Wei Wuxian along in the direction of the inevitable. Use and be used. He is more than proficient now in wanting. He knows better than to try to direct it. Not more. Wei Wuxian looks at the hand clutched in Lan Zhan's bloody vice grip, the fingers at strange angles, the grinding together of the wrist bones, the strange an easy looseness of being get last entirely alone in midair the end.